Let's turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter number 10 tonight. Romans chapter number 10. Y'all pray for some of our teenagers. We missed a week last week to inclement weather, and those of you who work in the KFC program and know what it's like to run those buses, when you miss a week, it's hard to go fish them back down and find them again, so our numbers are down a little bit tonight, so pray for those that are still out and had other things they needed to do tonight, um, and pray for those teenagers that we haven't found yet, that we haven't uh, got on a bus yet, that we haven't met their parents yet. Um, the Lord uh, has made it very clear to me and very clear as what we're seeing out on the bus route that the fields are white unto harvest, um, and that there's many souls out there ready to be plucked, ready to be brought to the house of God. So keep praying for this youth group. Um, God's been doing some big things out there on Wednesday nights, and I hope he continues to do them tonight. We've been moving through the book of Romans with these teenagers, and uh, the book of Romans, as we all know, is a powerful book. It's a doctrinal book. It's a, <clears throat> uh, I've been calling them truth bombs, so the teenagers would understand. Paul, week after week, has been laying down some truth bombs. He's been laying down some uh, things that you cannot dispute, you cannot refute. Some of them are very, very easy to swallow. Some of them are very, very great news. Some of them are very, very uh, awesome. You know, I, I have a father that I can cry, Abba, Father. Father, I am loved. Uh, I am redeemed. I know I am not ashamed. All those good things. But he also deals with some tougher subjects that are harder to swallow. And for last week, we got to Romans chapter 9, where he simply opens the door of his heart a little bit. And Paul began to speak and say that his burden and his heart, even last week in chapter 9, he wished that he could switch places. He said, I wish that I could be a curse from Christ for my brethren, the Jews, for my people. And he was trying and willing to express the fact that he wished he could trade places with his brothers and sisters. And he wishes that he could be a curse from Christ for the sake of some of those souls. And we began to talk about that burden last week in Romans chapter number 9. And we're going to continue on that burden tonight in Romans chapter number 10. Paul made it very clear how he would be willing to trade places with any of his Jewish brothers or sisters, if only he could. Um, and tonight we're going to look at where that burden came from, where that statement came from. Tonight, if you found your place, Romans chapter number 10, stand when you find it. Romans chapter number 10, we're going to begin reading in verse number 1. All right? Romans chapter number 10, verse number 1. Miss Candy's been hooking the teenagers up. She puts bookmarks in their Bibles for them so they can find it quicker. Somebody say, I wish they'd do that on Sundays. Amen? Amen. That'd be, that'd be helpful. Romans chapter number 10, verse number 1 says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your men like Paul and Silas and all these great men we're learning about in the book of Romans and all these great men that we learned about in the book of Acts. But thank you, God, for this place and this church and the men and women that are on the scene today working hard to make sure your great commission gets carried out. God, we pray tonight that you do what we cannot do, that you convict the things that we cannot convict, that you lift the burdens that we cannot lift, that you fix the things that we cannot fix, and God, that you save the souls that we cannot save. God, I pray that if there's one in here lost tonight, whether it's their first time here tonight or they've been coming to church all their life, God, I pray that you convict them, draw them by your mercy and your love, save them tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Paul dives in here and expresses where his burden comes from. 
where his burden and his, and his passion comes from. We've been titling these messages in a personal pronoun tense. We've been saying things like, uh, I have a battle cry and I cannot trade places and I have a father and I have hope. And those titles of those messages have all kind of lined up with that theme. And tonight we're going to talk about the fact that I, and you can fill in your name there, I have a desire. We see here in verse number one that he says, brethren, my heart's desire. So he first of all points out the origination, the point of of birth for this desire that he's expressing. And he says it's coming from his heart. And it's important to make sure that we all understand slash or maybe admit before we go any further in this message that each and every one of us have what Paul's talking about here in verse number one. He said, brethren, it is my heart's desire. And before we go one verse for it further, before we go one word further, before we get any uh, deeper into the message, it's important for us to understand tonight, no matter how young we are, no matter how old we are, no matter how successful we are, no matter how unsuccessful we are, no matter how proud we are, no matter how poor we are, no matter how big or small, each and every one of us have a heart's desire. Each and every one of us is motivated by something that lies deep within our hearts. Each and every one of us makes decisions on a daily basis, makes decisions uh, reactive and relative to God's word based on what our hearts desire is. And Paul's going to begin to open up his heart's desire and compare it to the heart's desire of the Jewish people. And tonight, I believe that this could be applied to you and to me. While he begins to dissect and outline these Jewish people, we, myself included, do some of the same things that those Pharisees and those Sadducees and those Jews were attempting to do. And if we would only listen to the words of Paul tonight and realize that you and I, teenager, you and I, church member, you and I, anchor of Hope Visitor, have a heart's desire and we must decipher what it is. Because if we're doing the right things for the wrong reasons, we're doing the wrong thing. Amen? Let me say that again. If we're doing the right things for the wrong reasons, we're doing the wrong thing. And tonight, Paul had a very sincere heart's desire that we're going to look into. He says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. So teenager, we're going to ask ourselves the question tonight, what is my heart's desire? We know what Paul's is. He wants Israel to be saved. He wants his brothers and sisters to come to know Christ. But teenager tonight, and church member tonight, and anchor of hope visitor tonight, I want you to ask yourself the question, what is my heart's desire? What is my heart's desire? I'm not asking you what you do. I'm not asking you what you say. I'm not asking you where you go. I'm asking you, the Word of God is asking you, what is your heart's Desire. Let's begin to dive into his words tonight. First, we must examine the fact that our heart's desire could be guilty of being knowledge. Look at verse number two. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, a passion of God, a want to, a desire, but not according to knowledge. This first word here, zeal, Paul expressed and explained how passionate the Jews were, how at great lengths they were willing to go to try to display their caring for God and display their fellowship with God and display their communion with God. These Jews, these religious Sadducees and Pharisees, Pharisees uh, these brethren of Paul, the men and the men that Paul would have grown up around and went to school with and had been educated by and 
met on a day-to-day basis, those same ones he was persecuting the church with, he made sure to express that they had a zeal, a passion, an expression to do the things of God. On the outside, it looked like their heart's desire was going in the right direction. On the outside, uh, it looked like that they were clean and they were holy. But as Jesus called them whited sepulchers, he said, you look like tombstones that are clean on the outside, but are full of rottenness and full of dead men's bones on the inside. He wanted to make it perfectly clear that it was not what they were doing on the outside that truly developed and told what their heart's desire was. No matter how uh, fantastic it may have looked, no matter how big and fancy their fancy outfits were, their hats were, their robes were, uh, their accomplishments were, how well they could quote Scripture, how well they could quote the Torah, how well they knew the laws and the things, the 613 Jewish laws, none of that mattered, no matter how passionate they were about it, because... Of the next word we see, zeal, Paul expressed how passionate they were, and knowledge. The word in this passage translate, translates from a Greek word that I'm not going to try to say. I'm not there yet. But it translates from a Greek word that simply means to recognize, to understand, okay? To recognize or discern. And if you're from the south, which most of us in here are, if you're from the north, you may have heard it as well. If you're from out west, Lord help you. But many of you have, <clears throat> many of you may have heard this statement, they couldn't see the forest for the trees. Have you ever heard that statement? They couldn't see the forest for the trees. And some teenagers are going, they couldn't see what? What Paul's saying here was that they were so passionate with looking at all the minute details and all the fine print and studying that Torah and studying that law and studying those books of Moses and studying those words of the prophets that they failed to recognize the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Savior that came to save them standing right in front of them. They were so caught up in looking at each and every tree, at each and every statute, at each and every minute detail, and making sure they had all their I's dotted and all their T's crossed and all their sacrifices made that they missed the sacrifice that came to sacrifice for them. Paul said, your heart's desire could be guilty of being trying to attain knowledge and trying to attain position and trying to attain stature and teenager you might be trying to say pastor bryce is proud of me because i come every wednesday and i show up early and i help set up and i stay late and i help miss candy and i help clean up and i help on the bus route and i help do all these things and i check all these boxes church member you might check all these boxes i help count the offering or i help clean up around the church or i help open a door i do these things but sometimes we get so caught up brother Mike Gravitt was wise to remind me sometimes we get so caught up in the work and in the doing and in the checking of the boxes and moving forward and moving forward that we miss our relationship with the Savior altogether. We miss it. And if our heart's desire is not that relationship, but is trying to do what the Pharisees did and passionately display how great we are and how well accomplished we are and how much we know, we can miss the forest for the trees. Teenager, you could miss the Son of God You could miss Jesus Christ ruling and reigning in your life because you get it in your mind that it's about what you do at church. It's about what you do to make your youth pastor happy. It's about what you do to make your parents happy. Could your heart's desire tonight be this thing of knowledge? And could it be that you're so caught up in the law of God and the things of God that you miss God? That you miss God. That There's no way that can happen. Happened to the Jewish people. Happened to the most religious of them all. 
the ones that were supposed to be ready to receive their king with open arms, crucified him, nailed him to a tree. So if it happened to them, it could happen to us. What is your heart's desire? Is it knowledge? Is it righteousness? Look at verse number three. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness. All right, southern terms, that word is ignorant. Okay, ignorant. All right, some of you know that word is ignorant. All right, if you've ever played the peg game at Cracker Barrel, it's ignoramus. All right, and you always pronounced it wrong when you read it on the little fine print there. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you've never played the peg game, play the peg game. All right, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish, look at this, their own righteousness. First thing we have to understand is that self-righteousness begins in ignorance. Self-righteousness begins in ignorance. How do you know that? It just says it right there. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness. Before you can become self-righteous, before you can start thinking that you're higher than others, before you can start thinking that you hung the moon and that there's nothing wrong you've ever did and that everybody should listen to you and that everybody should understand what you're trying to say, before you can ever get to that point, you have to become ignorant to the righteousness of God. Because if you understand the righteousness of God, you understand that people like you and me are the most tiny little vile wicked specks that could ever exist. But if you're ignorant to the righteousness of God, teenager, if you don't realize how great God is and you don't realize how loving he is and how merciful he is and how at any moment he could kick us off into everlasting damnation. If you don't realize how great his righteousness is and you become ignorant of that fact, you begin to start lifting your own righteousness up and saying, My heart's desire is to be righteous. That sounds good. That sounds great. But if your heart's desire is to be self-righteous and not to dwell in His righteousness and submit yourself in humility and sacrifice to His will for your life, you're missing it. You're missing it. Your heart's desire is wrong if it's focused on self-righteousness. There's a beautiful verse in Romans chapter number 2. And verse 11, and a lot of preachers I know skip right over it. Romans chapter 2 and verse 11, you can turn there if you want to. I'm going to attempt to quote it, and I'm 27, so if I mess it up, I guess blame it on that. But Romans chapter number 2, verse 11, and many preachers that would be preaching around this area and different nowadays do not like this verse. The Bible says in Romans chapter number 2, verse 11 says, for there is no Respect of persons with God. Wait a second. Wait a second. There's no respect of persons with God. He doesn't hold me higher in esteem than the other Christian. No, God, you must be mistaken. You don't understand God. You don't understand how much I give. You don't understand how much time I sacrifice. You don't understand what I do for you, God. God, you couldn't do this without me. God, you couldn't make it without me. God, you couldn't have a local New Testament church without me in it. This thing would be nothing without me. God, don't you understand how righteousness I am? There is no respect of persons with God. You know what that word translates back to? No. There's none. There's no respect of persons with God. Christ's righteousness. We've talked about self-righteousness. Self-righteousness begins in ignorance. Self-righteousness begins 
in ignorance, then what are we supposed to do? Not even try? What are we supposed to do? Sit down and be quiet and just wait till he comes back? No, 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 no. Self-righteousness begins in ignorance. Christ's righteousness begins at Calvary. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Christ's righteousness begins at the time and the place where you fall on your knees and you say, God, I am a sinner. There is nothing righteous in me. There is nothing good in me. There is nothing that I can do for your name. There's nothing that I can do for your glory. God, I need you. I need you. Christ's righteousness begins at Calvary. The moment we realize this, you see, because the illustration tonight is going to be a classroom illustration because we got teenagers in here. Teenager, imagine that you heard about this test that you had to pass. And this test was going to come at the end of the year and that whoever passed it was going to get a good grade in that class, was going to be able to pass that class. You were never going to have to worry about taking that class. All you had to do is pass this test. All you had to do is pass this test. So you study and you work hard and you skip all the football games. You skip all the pep rallies. You skip all the baseball games. You skip all the fun activities. You skip all the trips to Zaxby's. You trip all, you skip all the trips to Chick-fil-A. Somebody say amen for the Jesus chicken right there. Amen. <clears throat> you miss all that fun stuff because you're so worried about this test and you're going to make sure you have the best grade on this test and you're going to make sure you work the hardest to get a, get a good grade on this test and you're going to make sure when everybody sees your test score when everybody sees how high of a grade you made they're going to look at you and go wow Kenneth must have studied all night Kenneth must have studied for weeks Kenneth must have studied for days Miss Candy she must have studied so much none of her friends even talked to her anymore because she locked herself in a room and just studied it up and everybody's going to think and you're going to pass this test and you're going to be the smartest and the bravest and the greatest and you're going to be the best person in the whole school and you're going to show up to take that test one day and the teacher's going to say sir excuse me ma'am who are you you say i'm here to pass the test i've studied i've worked so hard i'm so smart i'm so ready i'm so prepared and they say your name's not here on my roster you're not registered for this class you're not even on my roster your name's not even here on the attendance sheet, who are you? Who are you? The Bible says in Matthew 7, the actual words will be, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. I say, Lord, I've done many wonderful works by thy name. I've done all these things. I've studied for the test. I've worked the hardest I can work. I'm better than everybody else. You know that, Lord. You know all those great things I did. You know all that righteousness I accomplished. And he says, I don't see your name here. I don't see a time and a place where you've found Calvary, where you asked Jesus to save you. Yeah, you may have made a good grade on the test of this thing called life, but... You never got on the roll sheet. Just starting to understand now what Paul was talking about. With those Pharisees and the Sadducees. And people like you and people like me. That think if we just are good enough. God will say, oh, I have no idea who these people are, but they're so great. I got to have them in heaven. It doesn't work that way. Christ's righteousness begins at Calvary. Is it knowledge? Is it righteousness? Or is it salvation? Skim down to verse 8 and 9. For the sake of time, we're going to skip to these verses. And the Bible says, 
But what saith it? But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth. What that means? It's on the tip of your tongue. Even in thy mouth and in thy heart. There's that word heart again. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine, here's that word again, heart, that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whoever believeth in him shall not be ashamed, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Teenager, hear these words. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He said, then what is the answer? What is our heart's desire supposed to be? He says in verse number eight, it's on the tip of your tongue. It's right there in your heart. You know what it is. Teenager, you know what that hole's supposed to be filled with. Church member, you know all those things you've been doing to check the box that haven't been filling that gap, filling that void, that haven't been stimulating that relationship with the Creator. You know that place in your heart was meant for Jesus. It was meant for Jesus. You know that that broken heart of yours really wants. You know what your heart desire really wants. Teenager tonight, you know, you know that you know you're not right with God or you know that you are. But sometimes those, heart, those words are hard to express. And save person in this room, we know sometimes our heart's desire should be the same as Paul's was, was that they might be saved. But sometimes we get caught up in that knowledge, don't we? Knowledge is great. Knowledge is wonderful. But what good is knowledge? Paul said like this, I might be as tinkling brass. I may be as a symbol making a bunch of racket if I don't go out and share that love and that message with others. What good is it if our heart's desire is to get wiser and wiser and wiser and smarter and smarter and smarter if we never share it with anybody else? If we never use it to carry out that great commission. Is it righteousness? Is it making sure we dot our I's and cross our T's? I'm guilty of it. Making sure we're in our place. Making sure we're dressing our best. Making sure we're putting that smile on our face. When on the inside, our heart's desire is just to get to the restaurant up the street. Our heart's desire is just to open the phone and see what so-and-so posted on the internet. Our heart's desire is just to see how many likes we got on our Instagram post that day, teenager. Our heart's desire is not what it should be. How can I get my heart's desire right? It just said it. It just said it. Verse number nine, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. How can I know my heart's desire is right, preacher? How can I know my heart's desire is where it needs to be, preacher? Is your heart's desire Jesus? Is it Jesus? And if you know it's Jesus, is it sharing Jesus with others? Is it spreading the message of the Great Commission? Is it spreading the message of the gospel? Paul said, it. we already preached it to you, church there at Rome. You've already believed it. You said with your mouth you understood it, but I, I don't, Paul said, I, I don't see you spreading it. I don't, I don't see you working it. 
Because the Bible says that, that Jesus said, said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Church, we're in a place in time, in that prophetic timeline, where we all know the Lord's coming back soon. But I heard a great preacher say this. I don't think, this is just a man's thought, but you chew on it. I don't think at the marriage supper of the Lamb that the Lord's going to have this great wedding ceremony where He meets His bride. I don't think He's going to have a wounded bride. I don't think He's going to have a bride that just barely makes it. What does it say about the bride? It'll be adorned, white and spotless before God. I don't think the bride's going to be coming into the marriage supper of the Lamb just barely dragging in. And some of us feel like, I barely made it here tonight, preacher. I barely made it here tonight. What's your heart's desire? Because this message hit me right between the eyes. Sometimes my heart's desire just gets, I just want to make it through another day of work. I just want to make it another day being a good dad. I just want to make it another day. But the Bible says very clearly, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. What's your heart's desire, church? I'll close with this. Preacher used this illustration I heard preached the other night. He said he was preaching at a big meeting, and it was a good meeting. It was a bunch of people there, a bunch of people that had done the church thing for a long time, and a bunch of people that had been invited and came out of obligation. And he's preaching, and there's hundreds of people there, and he, he keeps making eye contact with this gentleman that's sitting there, and he's got his arms crossed, and he's looking at his watch. And he's wondering... Bless God, we're supposed to get out at 8 tonight. We're supposed to get out at 8. This preacher's not even on a second point yet. Keeps looking at his watch. Keeps looking at his watch. Arms crossed, rolling his eyes, throwing his head back, pulling out his phone, checking his phone, looking at his watch. I know nobody in here has ever done that. But he sees this man, and he can't help think while he's preaching, there's a man that's got something better to do than spend time with God. And he sat down disappointed. And if you're a preacher, you understand this. You could see smiles on the faces of a hundred and see one grimace. And when you sit down, the only face you're thinking about is that grimace. And you're thinking, what in the world could I have done to try to get the Word of God into his heart? What, what in the world else could I have said to try to get them to understand? And he said he sat down, felt defeated, that no matter how hard he preached, no matter what he said, no matter what illustrations he used, this man just would not budge. This man just would not budge. And he sat down and he said, right before the service ended, a little girl, about seven or eight years old, stood up and said, preacher, to the home preacher that was hosting the meeting, said, preacher, do you care if I say something? He said, go right ahead, young lady. And he meant say something right there, but he said that little girl just walked right up on the platform like she owned the place. And she got up behind the microphone where everybody could hear her. And she said, my children's church teacher taught me a verse a couple weeks ago, and it's John 3.16. And she began to quote the verse that we all know and we all love, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And then he said that little girl began to expound on that scripture. And she said, I love the scripture so much, preacher, because my teacher told me and my teacher explained to me that I can put my name in that verse. And he used a name, so <clears throat> I think it was Emily. He said that if Emily believes in him, 
she shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And this preacher, Brent Carr, told the story and he said, Emily looked up at the frown and he said, she said, I've never met my dad. My daddy didn't want me. My daddy didn't want me. And my mommy, she, she really likes me and she, she really loves me, but she keeps choosing drugs over me. She keeps choosing the things of this world and alcohol and drugs and addiction over me. And I know she loves me, but it doesn't seem like she loves me enough to, to choose me. And she turned her head and she said, but preacher, when I put my name in that verse, it reminds me that God, He loves me so much that He was willing to give His only Son for me. And she said, preacher, I, I don't go a, a day by without quoting that verse and putting my name in it. Because preacher, sometimes it feels like He's the only one that loves me. That preacher sat there in disbelief. And they're shouting and weeping and praising God over the building. And that preacher that was preaching the meeting, he's over there having his own pity party about this guy that wouldn't respond. And he said he looked up. And there's a mound of people on the altar. And at the middle of that mound was that man that was checking his watch. At the middle of that mound is that man that was ready to get to lunch or ready to get out of the church. And he's weeping and wailing and begging God to forgive him and begging God for... And that man stood up and he grabbed a microphone and he testified. I've heard John 3.16 preached for 30 plus years, preacher. I've heard it quoted forwards, backwards, up, down. But when that little girl got up there and expressed how she was walking in the Scriptures, how she was standing with Jesus and that He loved her so much, it broke me. And I came running to this altar and I got it right tonight.